0: They say that retrospect is 2020, and they're totally right. As I've just transitioned from one season of pastoring to the next, I've been reflecting on the last 10 years or so and have come to identify so many principles that have really helped to shape who I am as a leader and as a parent. So I wanted to share these nuggets of gold with you. We all learn from each other, so why don't you go ahead and share this episode with a friend and buckle up as we jump into 20 principles for leadership and parenting. It's going to be a two-part episode, so make sure you stay tuned for next week to catch the last half. All right, let's cue up that intro music. Hi, and you're listening to Java with Jen with your host, Jenilee Samuel. Hey, so Before I jump into the nitty-gritty of this episode, which I'm really excited about, I just wanted to lay a foundation to be clear that as I talk about these leadership principles, I want you to know that I learned from watching and I learned from experiencing. I learned from succeeding and I learned from failing. I learned from watching people succeed and watching people fail. But no matter whether I watched and learned from their successes and failures or mine, Everybody, every leader that I'm referencing in this podcast, I have utmost respect for and valued their role in my life. As I listened back to the episode, I realized that that maybe doesn't always come through or I didn't lay that foundation for you to know kind of my heart behind these things I'm pulling out. So just understand, just because I learned from someone's failure does not mean I judge them as a bad leader Everyone I'm referencing in this podcast, I value, even if I had a negative experience, it still came to me to teach me something. And so I just want you guys to understand that. And I have by no means arrived. I don't think any of us have. I think no matter how long I'm a leader, and even if I even if I have wisdom on the topic, I'm still in a position of always learning. Because we can always improve our leadership and the way that we handle people. Um, So I just wanted to lay that foundation first. I hope you enjoy this topic and understand that you are a leader. No matter how many people you have under your leadership, either directly like in a position or indirectly just relationally, people somewhere, no matter how many, there is somebody somewhere that look up to you and admire you and that you influence. And that makes you a leader. And the more that we as individuals hone our ability to have good leadership skills, we naturally grow and increase how many people that is. And just remember the utmost goal of a leader is to enrich someone's life, to make their life better, to move them forward, to add value to who they are. So I lay that as a foundation. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let me know what you guys think. All right. Enjoy. You guys, it is almost September 22nd, which means it's almost fall, which is the beginning of a wonderful new season. And it does make me very um, reminiscent and reflective. And so I think This morning as I was spending time with the Lord, I felt him prompting me to just sit down and kind of write out like things I learned in my last season. We were pastors at a church here for eight and a half years, um, and we loved it, loved the people, learned a lot, learned a lot from our own mistakes and successes, and learned a lot from watching the mistakes and successes of the leaders we served and the leaders around us, and just Dealing with people and hearing their stories. And I mean, there's so much that you encounter in 10 years of all of that, plus parenting. I mean, throw parenting in the mix and good Lord, we could all write books. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I love, though, just how on this podcast, I've really worked hard to create an environment where you guys know and can expect I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be real. I think plastic people do not inspire anybody, and we learn from each other's mistakes as much as we do our successes. And so, Um, you're going to hear about my mistakes. Last week, I was very honest about some of my mistakes in that podcast. And um, I actually got a lot of great feedback about last week's episode on pride and humility and how it's something that the Lord has been speaking to a lot of y'all about. And so that was super encouraging. So thanks for taking the time, you listeners who reached out with your feedback. I really appreciated that. And um, I'm hoping that today's, these nuggets, while their leadership principles um, all of us have influence in some measure in some capacity whether it's as a parent whether it's at work whether it's as a teacher at work um, uh, if you're a principal if you're a police officer uh, whatever like there's there's somebody somewhere or multiple somebody's who are looking to you for an example and so we all do better to learn how to improve our leadership. And um, that's what these principles are about, really, is how to how to be a better version of ourselves. And so I just wanted to jump into these. There's going to be 10 in this episode, 10 in the next. They're just meant to be little nuggets. Um, so let me dive in. But Oh, also, if you guys would, it's so tremendously helpful when you guys share these episodes on social media. It, A, blesses my heart because it's just like a little cheer from you guys, it's like so encouraging. Um, But I love it because it also gets the word out. And I noticed that my listens on these episodes go up every time you guys do that. And so you are actually reaching people by doing that, which is just cool. So if you would send it to a friend. um, And actually, if you guys would even consider rating and reviewing on iTunes or wherever you listen. That also helps my podcast come up higher in search results. So then more people have access to it. So Anyways, there's a little bit of housekeeping for you, but so the first, one of the first lessons that I learned um, from this previous season, we were pastors, we mentored and discipled tons of people. I was, uh, really the bulk of my parenting has been in the last 10 years. My oldest is 14. And so I, the way I approach life and the challenges it presents is I feel like every challenge I encounter is an opportunity to be enriched. Um, and that there's a hidden lesson in it. Like, I feel like challenges are challenging because we need to grow in an area, kind of like weightlifting, you know? It, it's hard to lift because you haven't built strength in that place. But if you'll keep at it and persist, you will build strength and you'll be able to do it. So that's how I view life challenges. So I'm very much like a stand back and observe and try to gain understanding um, by learning from other people's mistakes and my own. So that's kind of my mentality as I approach these little nuggets I'm going to share with you. So the first one I wanted to share is I learned that I need to take myself more seriously as a minister or as a leader. I found that when I started in the role that we were at, I, I was younger. I was 27, <laughs> so I was young, or I was 29 maybe. And, um, and I realized, though, in my desire to have a teachable attitude approach on life, what I kind of did is I allowed that teachability to kind of mask um, insecurity and an uncertainty in my own ability to lead. I think I was a little bit afraid I would take myself too seriously and stress myself out. And so what I found though is I actually created for myself a pattern of second-guessing myself and um, feeling like I had I was just a novice, and I remember my pastor's wife at one point um, challenging me. She said, you know, Jen, you're always talking like a student. At some point, you need to step into the role that you're in, and you need to talk like a pastor, and I was like, oh, and, and she didn't mean that I needed to be arrogant or cocky or anything like that, but there is a difference between a leader who's unsure of themselves, or a parent who's unsure of themselves, and a leader or parent who has fully embraced their their place in that role and an awareness of their influence and a realization that they are positioned to make a difference. And so I realized I needed to start to take myself more seriously and stop second guessing myself so much. And that didn't mean that I'd get away from a teachable attitude, but it did mean that I needed to realize that God had called me for such a time as this in this role and in this capacity. And some of you might also be like me in that I've always been kind of the youngest one in my group. At school, I was the youngest one in my grade. Um, I've always been kind of um, ambitious for my age. And so I feel like I tend to run with people who are a number of years older than me. I always loved sitting with older people because I felt like I was getting the cheat sheet on life, (laughs) listening to them talk. And so I've always surrounded myself with people who are older. But I think the byproduct of that is I always felt like I was the least um, the least expert in the room, and I think that's part of what made me kind of carry this, um, presence and attitude of, I'm just a novice. And so I had to recognize, you know what? I may be younger than the people in the, in the room, but first Timothy four twelve tells us, do not let people look down on you because you're young, but set an example for believers in speech and life and love and in faith and impurity. And so I realized that no matter what my age is, no matter if I'm younger than the people around me, it's a privilege that the Lord has positioned me to be a leader Um, a young leader among older leaders. like That's amazing. And so my calling and my mission is still to set an example in the way that I speak and live and love and, and the way that I believe the Lord and the way that I pursue integrity and purity. And so I began to realize I need to take myself more seriously because God takes me seriously. So principle number one, take yourself more seriously. And yet, be able to laugh at yourself when necessary. (laughs) Um, Okay, and then so the second principle would be, I learned how to be unimpressed with famous people. And that may sound like super random, (laughs) but the church that we were at, um, my pastor had come from Brownsville, and so Brownsville Revival Church and School, and um, he just knew a lot of well-known people. It was a larger church, and, and so... There was a lot of connections with people of influence. So as we were there, as I met different people, there's different people that came through my life during our time there that knew lots of well-known people. And I found that as I was exposed to well-known people more and more, it kind of broke my um, fangirling tendency where I would get nervous and unsure of myself around them. And I just began to recognize, you know, famous people or influential people are really just people that have a lot more pressure and expectations on their life. That's all that it is. And so I began to really be aware of the need for us to be careful how we speak about people of influence, how we speak about um, leaders in the Christian community. And like if you see on Facebook, people will blast Joel Osteen or they'll blast Joyce Meyer or they'll blast Beth Moore or they'll blast a local pastor who's well known, you know, or, or they'll blast political figures or whatever. And I feel like the principle of treating others the way you want to be treated doesn't change just because they are famous and have a platform. And just because they have a platform doesn't mean that we have to expect them to be superhuman and doesn't mean that we can't extend to them grace. And so I just came to be less impressed with famous people and more impressed with the idea that we need to treat them with extra courtesy and grace because they're carrying... um, Influence, they're carrying weights that we don't carry. And so, grace and um, giving the benefit of the doubt is even more important with those kind of people because situations are never what they appear. But that is a principle we'll get into in a second. Okay, so be unimpressed with famous people, treat them like normal people, and treat them with extra special grace because they carry a lot. All right, so, third principle. I learned the crucial make or break your leadership importance of encouragement and relationship. This one I learned um, by observing a lot and as well from experience. As I watched some leaders that were um, around us, I watched different dynamics, all different leaderships that came and went through our church and that were constantly present at our church and Um, And I saw how some leaders were more relational than others and some leaders are more encouraging than others. And I pull out those two dynamics because some leaders that I saw had a lot of trouble with long-term loyalty in their relationships. And then some I saw had all their followers were, were incredibly loyal. And so I began to observe, like, what's the difference? What's the difference? And two principles that kept coming to the, to the surface was whether or not that leader was relational and was willing to build relationships with people and whether or not that leadership that leader was encouraging to people. And I believe encouragement is huge because if you think about it, the word encourage means you're endowing someone with courage. You're literally strengthening them and building them. I I don't know about you, but I feel like I used to always think encouragement was kind of like a fluffy non-essential, like it's nice, but we shouldn't depend on encouragement. But what I saw in Hebrews, it says that as long as it is called today – do not fail to encourage one another so that your your hearts may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And as I thought about that, and I even thought about... Um, the power of like prophetic when people, you know, speak on behalf of the Lord and it's so encouraging to the person that hears it. And I thought it just about how how life-changing those moments can be or even in moments in my life when someone has come with something encouraging that just gave such life to me and how literally years later I'll remember that encounter. And the only thing that transpired was encouragement. And I realized that when you encourage someone, you You literally put life into them and you strengthen them to tackle whatever they're facing. But when we're not encouraging, the things that we don't say still send a message. So when encouragement would be appropriate, but we withhold encouragement, by default, there's a discouraging message that is sent. And our brains just do that, our brains automatically do that. It's like the lack of encouragement creates a gap and your brain fills that gap with self-criticism or the enemy will fill that gap with criticism. And so when we don't encourage each other, there's a gap there. And that gap in our thinking, that gap in our heart can if we're not intentionally filling it with the truth of the word of God or with God's voice or God's affirmations um, then that gap can easily be a place where the enemy will step in and bring a lie or an accusation or discouragement and then people's hearts become weary and embittered just like that scripture says don't fail to encourage each other so that your hearts are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness and so encouragement is actually one of the greatest leadership tools that exists I think it's literally one of the simplest. It's so easy to do, and we can train ourselves to be good at encouragement. Um, but it is—it's one of the most profound ways to strengthen and build the people around you, including your kids. Kids really need encouragement. So encouragement was one, and relational was another. I've seen, I've seen, and they're—they're they're connected. I feel like because when you have a relationship with someone there's a rapport between you and that person that builds a foundation of trust. But when that relationship is not there, then your your encouragement or your criticisms carry even more weight because they don't have a rapport with you to lean on to fill those gaps. Does that make sense? When you have a relationship with someone, there's a lot of assumptions that can be made based on just the context of your relationship. You know this person likes you because they spend time with you, because they help you here, they help you there, you know, just normal relationship engagements. But when there is no relationship, then your words and your interactions with that person become way more concentrated and way more, um, what's the word, impactful or crucial. And so if you don't have a habit of being encouraging, then if you are critical or you make any kind of a critical comment and there's no relationship to build upon, then that critical comment literally weighs 10 times to their heart and feelings what it actually could weigh. Whereas if you have a relationship, it gives you more leverage to speak, not to speak critically, but to speak with, like to challenge people to, because that is part of leadership, right? To confront and to correct and to challenge. That's, that's a measure of leadership. But if encouragement and a relationship are not happening, then those criticisms can actually become so detrimental to the listener. This is true with our kids, it's true with anyone that you lead. If there's not a rapport that you have built with this person, a relationship of shared experiences, making memories, just having moments together where you're just enjoying being humans together, enjoying each other's company, if you're not building a rapport with that person, then you're making that bridge between you and that person more fragile. And so relationship is huge. It just, it just creates strength in that relationship so that it can handle um, criticism when it comes. But then your encouragement is also is an increased value when there's not much of a relationship there. I hope that makes sense and I've seen as I've observed this there's a specific set of leaders that I have in mind that they have a history of leaders being disloyal to them and abandoning them and I have there's a lot of lessons I've I've learned from observing their leadership style but two of the things that they really lack in their leadership that I think is foundational to why they have this history with people is they're not very encouraging and they're not very relational and because those things lack it's unfortunate because they're 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 genuine leaders they really care about people but because those two crucial elements are lacking then it undermines their leadership with these people um, because then one critical word which they can tend to be on the kind of critical side one critical word weighs 10 times what it should and so their interactions with people become Increasingly devastating, and it doesn't have to be that way if there was the context of encouragement and relationship. Does that make sense? So, I feel like if in doubt, if you have relationships with your kids or with people on your leadership that you feel like you just can't get the breakthrough, invest. Into the relationship, having shared experiences, do what they love to do. Spend time with them that's non-business. Just go have a cup of coffee. Go um, share a lunch break. Go ask them about their family. You know, like do things that that show interest and build rapport and cause you to get to know that person better. Um, and it can be simple things. Five minutes here, five minutes there. Little interactions can actually really add up. And then invest yourself into encouragement. You are never, ever gonna regret being more encouraging to people. You're never going to regret it. It just enriches them and actually it causes them to respect you more because you're you're giving to them. You're making deposits into them and so they'll actually respect you more for it. So that one is actually s- such a huge principle that was a walk away for me let's see that was the third the fourth is i learned how much people can get church hurt over a leader who's critical that i and that i should always walk in grace and the benefit of the doubt more than ever before and this kind of tags on to the last one but in in working with so many people throughout these years um i've come to recognize that a church hurt people getting hurt in church is normal and is common it's sad and everyone responds to it differently but It is common, and that's because we have, for some reason, we have ultra-high expectations when we go to church, and the higher your expectations, the higher the likelihood of you getting hurt, and so church hurt is normal. Um, Not good, but it's normal, and it's just part of the human experience, but I have, because of this, I have come to recognize that it's incredibly important that I walk in grace and give people the benefit of the doubt because one area where I've seen people get hurt. And this could be if you're a leader at Chick-fil-A or a leader at church, it doesn't matter. But like when people are dealing with leadership, their expectations are naturally going to be higher. When kids are dealing with you, their expectations are going to be higher than, than of their peers, you know? And so hurt from leadership, I guess I could put it that way. Hurt from leadership is common and frequently what can, Cause that hurt is when leadership is critical and doesn't give the benefit of the doubt. And this kind of tags on to the relationship and encouragement. You can give the benefit of the doubt more easily if there's a relationship there and you feel like you know that person's heart. Okay, but giving the benefit of the doubt is also... Um, a character quality you can train into yourself. I have trained myself over the years to give the benefit of the doubt. And the reason I do is cuz I always think to myself, how would I want to be treated right now? And scripture says that love believes all things and hopes all things. Love never fails. And so Believing the best and hoping the best about people, that's actually an extension of love. We demonstrate love to people. And yes, there will be times that you're going to have to decide, is this person lying to me? Do they deserve me giving them the benefit of the doubt? And when I've confronted those kind of situations with myself, like with my kids, for example, I've just come to the decision where I see in scripture that love gives the benefit of the doubt and love always trusts. And so I've told my children, listen, If I have a choice between believing that you're lying to me or believing what you're saying, I'm going to err on the side of believing what you're saying. And if I get lied to, I get lied to. Um, And I'm willing to take that risk because I'd rather walk in love than walk in suspicion. And so I tell them this, but then I let them know, listen, I'm choosing to trust you. And so you have my heart in your hands and I want you to be careful with it. And so giving the benefit of the doubt does cause us to, to have a little more risk on our end. But that's what love and leadership is. We carry the weight of the relationship, right? We carry the weight of um, the dynamic and of the of the uh yeah of the relationship we carry the weight of that we're the servant in the relationship and so you're gonna carry the cost also um but I have found that when you give the benefit of the doubt and you walk in grace to people with people what it does is it really makes room for them to rise to a higher standard because instead of you putting a lid on top of them of I didn't think that you were gonna do that. I I believe the worst about you or I expect that you were failing or I expected you were lying. When we do that, we put a lid on them and we actually shortcut their potential. But instead, when we minister to them with grace and we say, you know what? I'm just going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if you were lying to me or not. I don't know if you were gossiping about me or not, but I'm going to believe the best and I'm going to believe it was a misunderstanding. What that does is it gives them the breathing room and the emotional space to grow into that grace that you just gave them. If that makes sense. It gives them room to grow into bigger character because you just gave them permission to do that. And so Giving people grace, giving our kids grace is huge. Not to say that we don't ever hold a standard, okay? I'm not saying that. But giving grace when grace is necessary is just, it's huge. And it makes all the difference between um, people getting hurt by your leadership or people being allowed to grow under your leadership. Okay, so one, two, three, four, five. Number five, I learned the irreplaceable role of discipleship. That a leader who wins the hearts of the sheep, if you will, is the shepherd who smells like the sheep. Discipleship is a term we use a lot in the church, but really it's just kind of a churchy word for mentorship. Um, but discipleship is a little bit more intense in that it's like, hey, I'm trying to build you specifically in a direction. And, um, never, ever, ever to be confused with like control or cult like followings or anything like that. But discipleship is I'm investing into you. I'm living life with you. I'm walking with you. I'll go through the mud with you. I'm going to walk with the, with you through the hardship. Discipleship is I'm pouring myself into you because you're worth it. You matter. And I believe in you. That's what discipleship is. Um, And I have learned from this last season that there are some leaders who believe that leadership is on this level and they don't really associate with the patrons on the lower level. And I don't think that's the example of Jesus. I don't think that's the example he set at all. I think a shepherd who is a good shepherd is going to smell like the sheep because he's living among them. And I think that that is such a great visual for discipleship. Um, we found that that leaders who did not believe in discipleship, they were just trying to build their kingdom, they don't have a solid solid following of people. They're not multiplying themselves into people. They're just creating pomp and circumstance around themselves. They're just trying to make themselves feel good and create a name for themselves. But the reality is if you're trying to create a name for yourself, you're likely not creating a name at all or you're creating a bad name for yourself because really our goal isn't to create a name for ourselves. It's to create a name for Jesus, like to invest myself into making him greater. And the way I do that is by being faithful and investing in people, love the person in front of me, disciple the people that God has put in my life to invest into. And you'll never regret that. And as you pour your life into people, what naturally happens as a leader is you're basically it builds their loyalty, The more that you pay a price for someone, they will kind of like what scripture says he who has forgiven much loves much. When we forgive much and we invest much into people, they love much. They love us because of our investment. And it's not that we do that because we're just trying to win people's loyalty, but we do that knowing that that's the true riches. Like pouring ourselves into people's life is the true riches. And by default, people will have a loyalty to the leaders who have been willing to pay a price for them. That's just how it goes. We see that. We know when people are paying a price for us and when they're when they're not. And discipleship is a simple way but a very real way that Jesus has commissioned us to pay a price for people, lay down our life and serve people, invest ourselves into people, pour into people. That's why I'm doing my podcast. It's not the same as walking life with you, but I want you to know it takes time and it takes money and it takes resources for me to set time aside And pray into these topics, plan these topics, record these topics, edit these topics, um, create the music, you know, do the different things. Like, it takes time and investment, but I do it because whatever I can offer to whoever is listening, if it will enrich your life, it was worth it. I want to add value to your life. And I have grown and been so impacted by people who've done that for me, and so I want to do my part to do that for you. And so that's just, I believe an important aspect of leadership is discipleship. Um, and of course, discipleship is built on the back of relationships. So it's huge. Okay. Number one, two, three, four, five. I should number these, huh? Six. Can you guys hear my pages? I've written this down. I've like all these pages of notes. All right. Number six, I've learned the importance of rest, balance, and boundaries. Oh my gosh this could be an episode all by itself, so I'll keep it brief. But I have experienced burnout. I have experienced burnout um, a few years back when I was doing ministry. I was working 35 to 40 hours a week doing ministry. And then I took on a part-time job working for Stitch Fix and I didn't actually set down any of my church responsibilities. (laughs) So I was working a part-time job, I was doing ministry, I was being a mom, and I started to just get so burnt out, like so burnt out. It was actually kind of scary. I actually got to the point um, you know, I had I had some critical voices in my life at that time who who would have done better to be more encouraging. Um, but those critical voices kind of rang through my ears and that compounded on top of a lack of rest and a lack of balance. Um, I hit burnout so bad. I actually was suicidal a couple of times. I didn't actually attempt anything, but I definitely thought about it. And it definitely came to the point where I had to make a choice. Nope, I'm not going to do this, which is crazy because that's not something I'd I'd ever wrestled with in my life. And so it was scary that for me to have even entertained the idea of ending my life to, to, to just have some reprieve. And, um, and it was for some compounded reasons. We were having some marriage struggles and then there was tension at work with my leaders and, um, and there was critical voices and I was tired and my body my hormones were all out of whack and because of my lack of rest. So it was all the things. And I finally learned to pull back. The Lord started teaching me like, Hey, you're not being a good steward of your own health because you're not resting. Like, the seventh day God himself rested (laughs) and it wasn't just good. Like the other days of creation, it was holy. And I came to realize like our ability to prioritize rest directly impacts our ability to live a holy life. God rested and he called it holy and special. If we don't rest when the God of the universe needed to rest, like my goodness, who do we think we are? and i just came to realize like it was it's harder think about all the different people that you know that have fallen into sin or compromised their integrity or their character the common denominator is almost 100% of the time i just got so tired i was so tired i didn't i, I was so worn out and it's because when we're not rested we compromise we struggle we get into desperate places and so we had the blessing um, which our pastors were such a blessing to do this for us that in our 14th year um, of marriage and ministry, they allowed us to step into a sabbatical. We just kind of, we had some things in our family that we just needed to attend to and some things we needed to work out. And and we needed to invest into our marriage. We needed to invest into our kids. We just, our life wasn't falling apart, but it was, it was on the verge of falling apart. And we just realized we need to step away. And even just two months into the sabbatical, it was amazing how refreshed I was. But what I noticed happened in that time, it was a time of like not just refreshing and God depositing into us. Like I learned a lot. I, I did a lot of reading, a lot of learning. But it was also a lot of inner inner processing, inner healing. I, I was seeing a counselor to kind of like maximize that time. Um, reading a lot of books, spending a lot more time with the Lord. And it was just so healing and restorative. And so it just made so much more sense why rest and balance is huge to God. Like he made us to need that. And then boundaries, of course, boundaries play to that. If we don't have boundaries in place, rest and balance won't happen. And let me just say, one, there's always a reason to break a boundary. There's always going to be a reason for it. That doesn't mean that you should. Secondly, no one will protect your boundaries. It is your job to protect your boundaries. And we don't do it in fear. We do it in wisdom. A boundary says, this is the line that I draw so that I can love me and I can love you safely and healthfully at the same time. That's what a boundary is. A boundary is not a wall That I erect to keep you out because you scare me. (laughs) A boundary is the line I draw so I can love you and I can love me safely at the same time. And so those boundaries will protect your ability to have rest and to have balance. Huge, huge, important aspect of leadership. Number seven, I learned that all people really just want to feel seen, heard, and valued. After that year of sabbatical and dealing with broken places in my own heart from all the years of ministry and, and difficult marriage and difficult family and all the things, all the challenges really that just compound, <laughs> um, I was paying attention to my own heart, paying attention to my husband's heart, paying attention to the people we were discipling and the the feedback that we got. And yeah, we did continue to, to mentor and disciple people during that time. Um... And it was really enriching because we weren't distracted with all the, the busy life of ministry. And we could just simplify and invest into people. It was awesome. And I've just come to identify all people really want is to feel seen, to feel heard, and to feel that they matter. That is the core of every human being, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter how experienced they are everybody wants to feel seen heard and like they matter so this is why simple things like eye contact I've been challenging myself to put my phone down and make eye contact with my kids when they're talking to me because what that does is it sends that message I see you I hear what you're saying your thoughts matter to me and so I'm giving you my attention listening is huge eye contact is huge. Um, when people share their feelings with you, not arguing with their feelings, but just validating and and meeting them with understanding. I think that's why understanding is so healing and empowering to people, why encouragement is so healing and empowering, because understanding, encouragement, um, giving your attention to someone, all of those things send the message, I see you, I hear you, and you matter. And so if there's a relationship that is struggling in your life, Ask yourself, am I sending the message that they are seen by me, that they are heard by me, and that they are valued by me, that they matter? Ask yourself, and if not, evaluate how you're not doing that because naturally turmoil will begin to come to the surface in any relationship where we don't feel those things. And so it's just so fundamental. It's huge. Any relationship, any person, all humans are built like this. I want to feel seen, heard, and like I matter. Number eight, principle number eight, you guys hanging in there? Um, Number eight is, I learned that people will stay at a church where they're treated with honor and value, and they will leave if they're not. And this kind of really ties to that last one. If people come to a church where they don't feel seen, they don't feel heard, they don't feel like they matter, They're not going to stick around. People want to be a part of something that's bigger than them. They want to be a part of a community. They want to feel like their contribution is making a difference. So if you're a pastor, if you're a minister, finding ways to, like walking around among the people, like when I see a volunteer who's a greeter, I make the point every time that I see someone who's a greeter, to tell them how important their role is. When I see someone who's an usher, when I see someone who's helping in the parking lot, I try to remind them how important their role is and encourage them about how great they're doing in it. Because when you do that, you are refreshing that person with the awareness. We see you. We hear you. You matter. You are making a difference in our church or you're making a difference in our company. You, my son, are making a difference in my family. Like I tell my boys all the time when when I see them doing something that benefits the family and is a blessing to another brother or to me, I tell them like, "Hey, that's a really big deal, and I honor you for that. Like you are making a difference when you do that." People want to know that they are valued. And so Make it a priority in your church, in your company, in your family. If we treat people with honor, which is to treat them like they're valuable, they will stick around. They'll be loyal. So if you have a high churn rate at your church, consider if people are actually feeling valued. If they're not feeling valued, and a big way that that is, is if their gifts are utilized, if they have an opportunity to serve, not that they're overserved, you know what I mean if we if we work people into the ground then they begin to feel unvalued in the, on the other end of the spectrum, they feel used. Um, but making people feel seen, heard and valued that when they make suggestions of things that could change, take their suggestions into consideration. Have them, pull them into the problem solving. Be like, you know what? That's a great suggestion. What do you think we could do about this? How can you, can you write down and create a plan that we could implement? And would you be willing to help implement that? You know, like pull people in. People want to feel like they're making a difference. Okay, number nine, I learned the importance of shutting down gossip. (laughs) This could be a whole episode too. But I'll make it short. I learned from watching some leadership around me that, there was kind of a natural suspicion, the way that this leadership operated, there was kind of a natural suspicion. And so they actually, it it created a culture, um, that gossip was almost treated like my husband and I would call it the spy network, (laughs) where, um, if gossip isn't responded to correctly, it, it almost gives permission to it. Well, it does. It gives permission to it and it fuels it and it becomes a bigger problem. With gossip, we have to respond to it in a way that shuts it down without making the person feel shut down. So um, my new pastor, what he said that he does, and I, I really love this style, is that if someone comes to you and says, hey, so-and-so said this about you, what you can say is really, okay, well, let's go talk to that person and let's sort this out. And a lot of times if someone is just trying to stir up trouble, they won't want to go talk to that person because their concern is not really for that person, their concern is gossip. They just want to feel they want to feel like they're bringing you cutting edge information because it makes them feel important. Right. Well, gossip is not cutting-edge information. Gossip is usually wrong information, <laughs> and it's usually twisted. It's usually um, things are not what they appear, and so gossip is such a harmful um, thing to allow in a church or a family or a body of any group of people, gossip is harmful. And I don't care if you're a Christian organization or a secular organization, gossip is harmful because it's it's divisive and it's destructive. And one of the number one things we've heard from people who are church hurt is they were hurt because of gossip. And so what we do is we Like this requires leaders who have some gumption inside of them. You have to not be afraid to confront gossip when you hear it. If someone is speaking about someone else who's not in the conversation and they are not bringing a solution and they're not willing to bring it to that person's attention, then they are gossiping and it is not okay. And so what I'll do is if someone comes to me and they say, hey, um, and they they start sharing an offense with somebody, the first thing me and my husband always do is we say, well, have you spoken to that person about it? Well, no, blah, blah, blah. Are you going to? Well, no, blah, blah, blah. Okay, then I don't need to hear about it because you're not really interested in a solution. If you want me to go with you to talk to this person, I'm happy to be a mediator or offer moral support. But if you're not willing to address it with that person, like scripture tells us, then I I'm not willing to listen to what you're saying, and you do not need to be repeating this to anyone else because this is gossip, and it is destructive, and we've got to be willing to confront that. Back in the day when I was in Bible school, um, we had an environment where confrontation was actually considered healthy, and we were taught how to do it healthfully, and I remember Feeling strengthened by my friendships where I knew they weren't afraid to confront me if I was acting a fool or had made a poor decision. Now, it did require that I continue to challenge myself to walk in enough humility to hear their correction. Um, and not a lot of people do that intentionally. You know, not a lot of people want correction. But we as leaders can learn how to do it in a way that's that's more easily palatable. But we still need to confront gossip. Like when gossip is happening, it is so destructive that we need to not be afraid to challenge people who are sharing their offenses to a third party or are repeating what they've heard that they cannot verify. We have a responsibility to protect the person being talked about and to handle it in a way that treats everybody with respect. So that is the importance of shutting down gossip. In fact, there was one situation where um, a girl that we had had been friends with, it started out, we were discipling them. They came through our college ministry, and then we just became friends as they as they grew and had a young family and whatever. And um, someone in the church had decided, I mentioned this in the last episode, I think, had started talking about us. And the beautiful thing was I watched how my my friend actually, when that information was brought to them, They confronted the gossip and they said, you know what, even if that's true, it's none of our business and I don't think you need to be talking like that about them and I just appreciated it shut down the conversation and I appreciated that she had my back. When we created a culture, when we create a culture where we protect each other and we don't nurture gossip, we don't lend our ear to gossip, you protect the whole morale of the entire environment. You create an environment of honor where people feel safe, they feel valued, they feel like they're going to be protected even when they're not in the room. That is huge. I have been recently in environments where gossip was treated almost like it was A special line of insight, like oh, like it was almost like favor was given to you if you brought the latest juicy gossip to your leaders, and it was just really, really unhealthy and created such an unsafe environment that it was heartbreaking. It was very, very heartbreaking, and I didn't realize until um, until some things changed that that environment had created so much tension for me and so much anxiety for me, and it was all built around. How people responded to gossip. And so that is definitely not something that healthy leaders will tolerate. And so if if you want to be a healthy leader, do not tolerate gossip. Okay. Um, Number 10, last one for this episode. I learned even more how situations are never what they appear, and the benefit of the doubt is essential. We talked about this a little bit before, but on the tail end of gossip, this goes hand in hand with it. The reason we don't take gossip to the bank is because. If I have ever learned anything as a leader, it is that 99.9% of the time, a situation is absolutely not what it looks like. You have to ask questions. You have to give the benefit of the doubt. You have to assume it's not nearly as devastating as it looks. (laughs) And that requires that we stay calm. It requires that we don't jump to conclusions. It requires that we train ourselves to give the benefit of the doubt. That way we can say, you know what? It looks like this. I just want to check with you because I'm pretty sure that's probably not the truth. Can you please clarify with me what happened with blah situation? What happened with blah conversation? Um, I heard this. Did so-and-so, or did you say this? No? Okay, cool. Ask questions. Seek clarification. The Bible says that um, it is the glory of kings to conceal a matter. No, it is the glory of princes. Wait how does it go is the glory of kings to glory of god to conceal a matter is the glory of kings to search it out i think that's how it goes um things that are concealed yeah i think that's how it goes the glory of god to conceal a matter is the glory of kings to search it out there's something very wise about investigating and not in a suspicious way but investigating in a way that says i give you the benefit of the doubt and i'm seeking understanding i'm seeking clarification As a leader, situations can look, and most of the times will look, much worse than they actually are, and it is super important that we are able to give the benefit of the doubt and ask questions knowing that you do not have all the facts until you have done all the asking. I created an illustration for my boys about this where I took a picture, uh, like a physical photo, and I folded it into four pieces, and then I sat my boys in different parts of the room, and I showed each boy just one part of the photo, and then when I was done, I said, okay, tell me what the photo looks like, and so each one of them was very impassioned about what the photo was of, and I went to the next person, of course, they had a very different version of the story, and the next one had a very different, because they all saw different parts of the photo, right, And so when they were all done, and of course, quarreling can break out because they're like, no, that's not right. That's not what it looked like at all, you know, and they're like, no, 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 you know, and they're so convinced that what they saw is the fact because it's true. What they saw was what they saw. It was absolutely true. But then I, I opened the photo and I showed all of them and I showed them how each of them had seen a part, but none of them saw the whole thing. But that when we get into situations where we get so stuck on that little part that we saw and we're convinced that we saw the whole thing, even though we only saw a piece of it, then what we do is we never hear what the other people have to contribute. We never hear the other pieces of the puzzle that actually will cause us to see the whole picture. And we can make complete misjudgments because we do not have all the information. That's kind of the illustration that I think of when I think of how things are never what they appear. It's not that one person's perspective is wrong if it doesn't line up with the next person's. It means they both saw the situation through very different lenses or they saw different aspects of the situation and they may all be valid parts. And so it's important when you see a situation that looks questionable that you can look at it with discerning eyes and recognize they don't have all the pieces to the puzzle, the next person doesn't, and you don't. It won't be until everyone that's involved in that situation can sit down and discuss it, that you can realize maybe what happened. And so that number 10 principle is that uh, situations are never what they appear, and it is essential to give the benefit of the doubt and ask questions. Okay, so I'm at, look, 48 minutes, perfect. So 48 minutes, I'm gonna go into Life Hacks real quick and share with you what is one of my favorite podcasts, especially for learning leadership principles. It is gold, and so I'm gonna jump right into that. This was part one. Next week, come back for the next 10 nuggets of leadership principles that I learned from these last 10 years as a pastor and a parent. You guys, thanks for listening. Share with a friend and let me know if you're uh, listening to this episode. Send me your feedback. Follow me on Instagram if you're not already at Java with Jen. and stay tuned right now for Life Hacks with Jen. All right, today's life hack is super simple, but you guys, it is go old. As a parent, I've read so many parenting books and they are helpful because children are different than adults, yes. However, I have found that some of my favorite resources that have made me feel more equipped to be a good parent have actually been leadership resources because, hello, parenting is leadership, right? So my favorite podcast That I love to listen to. And now I love that he keeps them short. They're like 20 to 25 minute podcasts. Um, Don't judge me. I talk more than he does. Please forgive me. Um, (laughs) But I love it because they're short. But one time I sat down, the first one I ever listened to, I took notes on that 22-minute podcast and I took eight pages of notes. And I was like, I've got to share this with our leadership team. It was so good. And they're a great length. You can actually listen to them with your leadership team. Um, So if you're a leader of any kind or if you want to grow in your leadership, I highly recommend this podcast. He's the pastor at... Uh, I think it's Life Church. He is the pastor of the church that created the UVersion Bible app, and he pastors like thirty-something satellite churches now. He is a phenomenal leader and definitely knows some things. And so, it is Craig Groeschel. Um, his last name I don't even know if it's German or whatever it is, but if you look him up on iTunes or the podcast app or wherever. It's Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast. And his first name is Craig, C-R-A-I-G. But his last name is Groeschel. It's G-R-O-E, G-R-O-E-S-C-H-E-L. Must be German, I guess. Groeschel. So search him up, leadership, Groeschel, Greg, (laughs) sorry. Craig Groeschel Leadership Podcast. His stuff is gold. It is awesome. Um, Let me know if you do listen to some of his stuff. Let me know what podcast you love. I haven't listened to all of his episodes. In fact, I haven't listened to him in a little while. I need to go. I kind of binge when I listen to him. I listen to a bunch of his stuff. It's so good. And then my brain is blown. And so his stuff is actually very like logical and strategic and very like left-brained. And so when I need leadership principles that are inspirational it's more on the right brain I will listen to John Maxwell and so John Maxwell is another king of leadership he's like probably the top number one sought after leadership guru in the world and he's so precious oh my gosh he's so precious and so Craig Rochelle for like the real tactical practical um, strategic leadership principles, very, it's like so concentrated nitty gritty. But then if you want something that's a little lighter and fluffier, not fluffier, but lighter and easier to digest, even though it'll still have a lot of meat. Um, John Maxwell, he has a leadership podcast as well. So there's your life hack. Those are my golden nuggets for learning and growing in leadership. Thanks y'all for listening. I'll catch you next week for part two of the top 20 principles that I've learned in the last decade of leadership. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. For those of you who've rated or shared this podcast on social media, thank you. Reading your comments and reviews always means so much to me. Listen, let's stay connected. Come follow me on Instagram at Java with Jen, where you can follow the latest and say, Hey, it's a really great way to stay in touch. Many of you have also asked how you can support the show. You can make donations through the Anchor app or on Patreon. Or of course, by sharing, rating, and reviewing on social media and iTunes as well. Thank you to each of you for your ongoing support. Your heartfelt feedback always reminds me why I do this. Until next time, remember, you've got this and God's got you.